you and I who know Christ as Savior are part of that epic story. And if you're here today and you don't, he invites you to be a part of that epic story. We looked last week at at the story of John the Baptist and how he had a first-hand account on the inside of Jesus, the launch of Jesus' ministry. And his story was a message of promise, a story of promise to say, prepare the way. Not only has he come, but he is here and he's with us. Today we're going to look in Romans and look at the story of the Apostle Paul. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 5, we're going to look there at verses 6 to 11. And here's Paul's story, and it's clearly a story of love, a story of how, how we're loved, how deeply we're loved, why we're loved by the work of Christ. So let's look at this text, Romans 5, 6 to 11, and join with me if you will. You see, just at the right time, when we were all still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, Shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Well, four things I want us to glean from this text today about Paul's story. Paul's story is, first of all, was was of a timely love. Look at verse 6. You see, just at the right time when we were still powerless. Just at the right time. Jesus knew few days earlier than this, as he rode into Jerusalem, uh, the significance of the timing of all this. He knew his presence and his his entrance into into Jerusalem on the cusp of Passover was to help connect the dots, and he did this perfectly, and he he shares with us by way of uh, the Apostle Paul today how to do that. Connect the dots first, first, uh, specifically between uh, Passover, 500 years earlier, over 500 years earlier, as the children of Israel were instructed to put blood on the doorposts and the lentils of, the, of their homes for the spirit of death to pass over them, and, and so everyone inside would be spared. He knew the significance of that story compared to where he found himself on that day of riding in, into Jerusalem and having <laughs> compassion on the Jews themselves and just a day or two earlier looking at the, at, at the city of Jerusalem from a mountaintop above and having compassion on them, weeping for the city of Jerusalem weeping for his, his people, Israel. And so he, all of this is, is timed perfectly between Passover, between his, his desire to redeem the Jew, and as well as where we stand today and, and the timing of where we sit here. He, he, he connected the dots of that uh, both, both then, historically, in that moment, and for us today. But what, I, what I want us to see here is that all this is intentional, that none of this was happened by accident. It was, it was a design plan of God that all this timing be intentional about when he came in, how he came in, and so forth. But both then and now, both as it applied to the Jew and as it applies to us sitting here today, we're still powerless to save ourselves. Even though the timing was perfect, the Jews in that day were still powerless. And we stand here today with the, with the inability to save ourselves. We know more than any generation in history. We're the most well-informed, well-educated, well-experienced, 
well versed generation, I believe, to ever live in, in, in terms of when it comes to how much we know and what we have exposure to and, and the amount of knowledge we have at our fingertips. Yet, we're still powerless to save ourselves. We've gone beyond anywhere in space man has ever gone to see the size of the galaxies and the universe around us. It's bigger than we've ever dreamed of, ever dreamed it would be. And I think that points to the bigness of our God. Yet, in knowing what we know and having to go where we've gone, we're still powerless to save ourselves, still powerless to, to redeem our own sin. And so life and death were in that day and is in, in our day in the hand of God, in, in the hands of God. And, and it's, not just, it's not just vital, it's essential that we know him personally, have a personal relationship with Jesus. His heart broke for Jerusalem. And looking at us today, his heart breaks, I think, for the church today of how seemingly callous we've become to truth, how seemingly inept we've become at, at sharing, and eager at least, to share our faith with those around us. As I encourage you a few moments to go to, to invite your friends and get your friends to the gospel of the church next Sunday because we, a lot of folks will come on Easter that would never come otherwise. I hope we do that out of a desire to see their heart come to Christ, not out of some sense of obligation. That's, that's what Christians are supposed to do. But your friends and my friends, your family and my family, desperately need to know Jesus because we're still powerless to save ourselves. And on our best day, with, with the most amount of knowledge and education we can find ourselves engaged in, we're still powerless to save ourselves. So this love, Paul says, was a, was a timely love. And it's timely in our day as well, needed desperately in our day. Secondly, Paul's story was not just of a timely love, but it was of an obvious love. Look at verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Would you rather be told you're loved or shown your love? I guess it depends on where you find yourselves in, in, in Dr. Gary Chapman's five love languages. Uh, Leanne's love language is acts of service. So she wants to be shown she's loved. My love language is physical touch. I want to be shown that I'm loved as well. If your, word, if your love language is words of affirmation, then you need to be told you're loved. So whether you need to be told you're loved or shown you're loved, it, it, is, it is this way of demonstrating that and however the, the, the demonstration occurs. And that's what he's saying here in verse 8. God demonstrates it. He shows, he reveals, he pulls back the curtain on his love for us to show us how deep it is in his going to the cross for our sin. Acts of love, though, grow out of a heart of love. We can act like we love someone, but sooner or later they're going to see if that's thin, if that's a thin veneer, if there's really not a heart of love behind our actions. Acts of love grow out of a heart of love, and his action that took him to the cross was because he had a heart for the cross. Uh, now, his emotions weren't in the cross. Remember, remember the, the, the night before his prayer in the garden as he says, Father, is there a plan B somewhere that I'm not seeing? Because <laughs> I don't like what I'm seeing. If there's, a, if there's another way to, 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 to get this done, let's get this done because the human side of Jesus felt emotion. And he was emotional in that prayer to, to, to cry out to his father to say, I know this is the plan. Every part of me wants to, wants to buck up and, and, and not follow through with this. Yet, yet, not what I want, not what I feel, but what you want. And here's what I want you to get today is this. There's ever been a point in your life, maybe sitting here this morning even, where you've doubted God's love for you. Just look at the cross. It's the greatest demonstration of his love for you. 
if there's points at which you doubt his love and you wonder, is he there? Does he, does he hear me when I pray? Does he, does he feel my pain? Does he, does he know and understand my hurt? Does he, does he get my loss? Does he, does he respond to my lack of understanding, to what I don't know about him, to what I need to know about Look at the picture of love at the cross. That should answer the story for you because he demonstrates his love by this picture of his hanging on the cross. So whether we feel loved or not, and we're in such a touchy-feely culture that has to feel it all, let me just say to you, sometimes I don't feel saved. There's probably days in your life that you don't feel saved sometimes either. But I am nonetheless. Why? Because I've accepted his blood sacrifice at the cross for my sin. And when I, even though I don't feel it, I know that his love is real for me because I go back and back and back and back to the cross. In fact, as I've, as I've talked with people who doubt their faith, who've had doubts about their faith, I will always take them to the place where they trusted Christ. I trusted Christ in a cow pasture under a tent revival when I was nine years old. Revisiting that place again and again for you will help tell the story of your life to say something happened there, whether it was the altar of this church, some camp somewhere, uh, something happened. There. And that becomes to you a holy place. It becomes a, a, a sanctuary, more or less. It becomes a place where you, you have done business with God that's eternal, and it changed you for eternity, and you, you never, ever, ever forget that. I was dealing and struggling with that in, in early in my life, or in my late teenage years at one point. Drove back out to that field. That was at that time, and, and is now two or three baseball fields. I stopped and pulled my car over and got out in the out, outfield, and as I, as, I, as this war was going on with me between the enemy and, and, the, and the Holy Spirit, I got out in the field and said, okay, you guys duke it out. You duke it out because what I did here, I was sincere in doing here. So if, if that's real, I'm, I'm walking away from this place today and never doubting my salvation again, and I never have. And I encourage you, if, if there are doubts, revisit that place. Maybe it was in your bedroom at your, or at your home, wherever it was, revisit that place because if that place <clears throat> was and is sacred to you, the Holy Spirit will bring that back, and that will reverberate again and again and again. So revisit that place, and the place of the cross was his place uh, for us, and it runs runs much deeper than emotion. So whether we feel loved or not, the cross is evidence of that love. Uh, Logan and Alicia have, have rings on their fingers that they put there just a few weeks ago. And those rings are symbols of love. They say, I love this person for the rest of my life. If you have a ring on your finger that says that, it should bear evidence to the fact that this is a story of love, and it's evidence of my love for you, for someone else. That's what the cross should be for you and I. It should be the place we, we, we revisit. And I encourage you, if you have crosses this week, wear them every day this week. Wear them wherever you go. And let it be evidence to. To a world of his love for you and yours for him. Let it be evidence in the process. Um. This, this idea of, of, of there being evidence for us uh, in, in the power of the cross, I think, is twofold for us, as I see in this text and as the Spirit has given to my heart. And that's this. First of all, it is personal, meaning he died not just for the sins of the world, but for the sins in your world, for the sins in your life, for the sins that you said, that's way too severe. I mean, I see God loving and blessing and, and forgiving over here but not for this. It doesn't matter what the this is. He's died for that very sin, for the sin, and your sin and your world and the sins that you've done and committed. 
it's not only personal, but it's permanent. Uh, in the sense that it was, as James says, a once-for-all sacrifice. Uh, it was once-for-all people and once-for-all time. And in doing that, in that being a complete sacrifice, he says to us that this is good enough. That my blood is shed is, is enough for you, and it should be enough for you from now on. Uh, a love that a love that helps someone with groceries or helps someone with a place to stay or that's a noble, good love. Don't stop doing that. Don't stop loving people that way. Uh, it, it, it's good indeed. But a love that's willing to lay down its life for someone else. Sacrifice its very life is the deepest kind of love there is. He did that for us. You probably feel that way about your spouse and your kid. That you would sacrifice your life for them. What about beyond that circle? Is there anybody in your, in your life, in your world, that you would lay down your life for? That's the kind of love he's talking about here to say, that kind of selfless love is what I'm calling the, the, the church, the bride, to. It's what I'm calling us to today. It was obvious, and the cross is the greatest, most obvious picture of that love. Paul's story was a timely love. It was of an obvious love. But thirdly, it was of a costly love. Look at verse 9. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Since we have been justified by his blood, our being justified means our being made right, our being brought into rightness, into right standing with him, where there's, there's nothing stand, standing between him and us. Uh, th this, this rightness was God's plan for forgiveness for you and I and redemption before, before creation ever began. He looked in the garden and saw man's failure. And in that moment, the cross entered the picture, I believe. So it, was, it, was, it predates you and I, predates even our world. It's, it's imperative, though, that we understand that the power in that is in the blood. It wasn't in the beating that Jesus suffered. It wasn't in the crown of thorns. It wasn't in the nails in his hands. It wasn't in the, the spittle that was spit all over him. It wasn't in the humility that he hung on the cross naked. It wasn't, it wasn't in any of those things. The power, all those things are powerless to save us, even though he endured those things for us. The power there is in the blood. As I said a moment ago, it started with the children of Israel in the blood sacrifice to save them from, from death itself. And it does for us as well. The power of the blood of Christ saves us from the, uh, what the Scripture says, the wages of sin, the payment for sin, in essence, is death. And my, my, my remedy for that is the blood of Jesus. It's a, it's, a, it's a costly price to pay, but one he's willing to pay. And it's the forgiveness of sins, the blood applied to the forgiveness of sins that forgives us now and for eternity. As I've said many times, it's, uh, it's through that bloodstained lens that he looks at us and sees our, 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 our cleanness, our, our spotlessness. Only through looking at the lens of the blood of his son is that possible. Uh, it's, it's that bloodstained lens that he looks at that didn't, didn't just acquit us. Acquittal is there's not enough evidence to, to, to convict you. I want to let you out of the courtroom today because there's not enough evidence. Not necessarily that you didn't do it. There just wasn't enough evidence presented that you did. He didn't acquit us. He declares us innocent because of the blood of Jesus. As if we had never sinned at all, as if we are clean and pure as a newborn baby in the wind-driven snow, that, that our, our sin is, is unrecognizable to him because of the blood of Christ, but it cost him something. And we ought to, be, we ought to be real, stand real, in realization today of that cost, that price he paid for your sin and for my sin, that we can stand here today clean before him and free, indeed, from the penalty of our sin, which is our own death costly love. It was a timely love, an obvious love, a costly love, but finally 
Paul's story was of a freeing love, a freeing love that freed us. For if, verse 10 says, For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We were reconciled through his death, saved, he says in this passage, through his life. Paul describes the death of Jesus as something that breaks the chains of bondages, freeing us literally from the penalty of sin, as I, as, as I said, which is death. And he tells us in this same verse that his resurrection saves us, redeems us, restores us, elevates our value and worth in his eyes to one that's not only just uh, in by the skin of our teeth, but in as heirs and joint heirs with Jesus, that all that is due him is due us as well. So if, if the enemy's trying to keep you in bondage, and he'll do that, he's, he's, he's great to do that. If he's trying to keep you in bondage to your sin and to your past, quote this verse to him again and again and again and spit in his eye, as I often like to say. Uh, otherwise, instead of ignoring the enemy, we're choosing to ignore the blood of Jesus at the cross. And that is a choice we make every day as we get up there. I mean, I'm either going to listen to what the enemy says about me or I'm going to look at the cross of Christ and, and believe who he says that I am and the value and worth that he puts in me and on me because of his willingness to die for my sin at the cross. Uh, that, that sin tore the veil in the temple at Jesus' death from top to bottom, cleanly in two, meaning we have an all-excess pass to God, to all that God is. Meaning I can step through from what was un, unattainable and unachievable for me into a holy place that I don't deserve to be, but because of the blood of Christ, I can walk in, into him and to him in prayer again and again and again. He gives us, by that veil being torn into, an all-excess pass to all that he is. Now, that's pretty heady stuff. When you consider the fact that he is all that I've ever need, he is all he, he knows me better than I know myself, he sees around every corner in my life that I can't, and if I can learn to walk in the truth, if I have access to all that God is by, because of the blood of Christ, I have access to all of his knowledge, all of his wisdom, all of his understanding, all of his guidance, all of his truth. All of that is, is, is in my pocket, more or less. If I choose to believe that and walk in that truth, uh, it, it's, it, it is staggering that we have that, that access today. But what I want you to see is God's love for you today and his blood sacrifice for your sin today being enough, regardless of what, of what enough looks like. And you may be sitting here today and say, Tim, you don't know my past. You don't know my sin, and I don't. I don't know your past. I don't know your sin, but I do know this. Sin is sin to, him. Sin is sin to God. Whether you stole a piece of bubble gum or you're a serial killer, sin is sin to him. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't, do, he doesn't see degrees of sin. He has no, uh, pulling out the scales again, there's no scales in place in his mind, in his heart to say, he's better, his, his sin is worse than his, which is worse than hers, which is worse than his. He doesn't think that way. Sin is sin to him. As he hung on the cross for our sin, he didn't just save the deep sinner. He didn't just save the mild sinner. He didn't, didn't just save the partially clean sinner. He saved you from, from your sin and my sin. So whatever your past, whatever your, whatever, however dark your sin is, uh, we're all sinners. And he sees all of our sin the same way. That's why these couple of observations here are true, and that is great sin requires an even greater love. I'm going to tell you, if you've sinned once, you're a great sinner. Great sin requires an even greater love. My question is this, have you been forgiven much? <laughs> Every one of us in this room have been forgiven much. We've all been forgiven much. 
Uh, it's our love, though, in proportion to our forgiveness. Do we love like we've been forgiven? Do we love and is it equitable? Is, does the way we love others marry the forgiveness we've been poured, poured all, that's been poured all over us? <laughs> in my life, it's not even close. I don't love like I've been forgiven. Most of us don't. But if we learn to love that way, I'm going to tell you, people will come to the cross. They'll come to, come to Jesus that has changed our heart and loved us deeply so that we can love them deeply because a great sinner requires an even greater Savior. And whether you see yourself today as a great sinner or someone somewhere in between, can I give you a hint? We're all great sinners. I don't care if it's the bubblegum stealer or the serial killer. We're all great sinners because here's the deal. Your sin is not compared to mine nor mine to yours. Our sin is compared to his. And he's sinless. And he's spotless. It's not, it's not you to me. It's us to him. And in that light, we're all great sinners. And a great sinner needs a great Savior. If you're here today and you're, you're out of, outside of a relationship with him, I want to invite you uh, to come to know him today. Uh, as I've often said, you may have been in church a lot. You may know some scripture, you may, you may know some songs, and may, may be able to, to do the deal, to do the church deal. Uh, but if you've never prayed to receive him into your heart and life and given your life to Christ as a Savior and Lord, I invite you to do that today. We're going to share together in the Lord's table in a minute. And after that, at the close of our service, uh, uh, Jerry's going to be down front here, and I will as well, if you'd like to share with either, have either of us share with you how to come to Christ. What a thrill that would be for us, and what an eternal changer that would be for you. I invite you to come to know him today uh, because this was a timely love. It was a costly love, deep love. It was, it was a love that is designed to free us and get us beyond the bondage and walking in, 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 in light of our sin instead of walking in light of the Savior's love for us.